0: Wow, thank you, Barry. Love that song. And uh, Bridger, thank you for those words. Thank you for your vulnerability. You got a gift, man. Not only with music, but with speech. So, excited to see what God does with that. It's awesome. Failed to uh, talk about the if table, which is Tuesday for our ladies. So, ladies, Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, up here. A great gathering of uh, not only fellowship, but uh, it's also a gathering of great questions. Uh, spiritual discussions and uh, there is child care in it is that right or there will be I made that announcement so there will be now um, all right I guess um, if not actually it's not if you do need child care call the office let us know if not uh, it's not child care if your husband does it it's called parenting alright no. yeah yeah that's right that's right that's right that's right Whew, we are talking about Wonder Women today, so that's a great transition. One of the greatest moments in sports history took place was October 1st, 1932. It was Game 3 of the World Series, and it was the Yankees versus the Cubs. And In Game 3, they were at Wrigley Field. The score was tied up, 4-4, four four, it was top of the 5th, there was two outs. And in that moment, up stepped Babe Ruth. This is not a picture, this is a painting of this moment. Babe Ruth stepped up to the plate that day. He took two strikes, and with the score tied, right before the third strike was to come, he stepped out of the box and he took two fingers, and as legend has it, he pointed to the center field. He called his shot. He stepped right back into the batter's box. The pitch came, and he smashed a home run right over the center field fence, going up 5-4. Yankees, of course, would go on to win the World Series, and that would begin the curse of the Cubs, or continue the curse of the Cubs. But the point was that the babe had called his shot, and the rest is history, right? How many of us in here have replayed that gesture in our backyards in wiffle ball games, right? Doing that all the time. That has been replayed countless numbers of times in backyards, in pickup games, in sports, and it's even used as an idiom. That person called their shot. But let's think about it this way this morning. The gesture of calling your shot only has meaning If fulfilled, the promise only has power if completed. Today, we're going to turn to chapter four of the story. If you're following along there, go there. Or if you're following along in your Bible, it's Exodus chapter one. As we enter into this part of the story, God is going to call his shot. He's going to say this is going to happen. You probably noticed in reading this week how many times God uses the phrase I will in Exodus 1 through Exodus 15. I will do this. It's going to happen. But we're introduced to the story like this. At the close of the book of Genesis and at the opening of the book of Exodus, there has been a great amount of change. And the author in Exodus 1 wants to catch us up. So Exodus 1 begins like this. And we've got to set the stage today for where we're going. Start in verse 6, the writer says, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. That means they had a lot of kids. They multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers and became so numerous that their land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Python and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor, in brick and in mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields, and in all their harsh labor, the Egyptians, it's repeated again here, worked them ruthlessly. So in the time since Joseph, at the close of Genesis chapter, Egypt, at the opening of Exodus 1, has changed. In fact, the country of Egypt in its policies and the way it dealt with the world has flipped upside down. And the author in chapter 1 of Exodus is not just giving a hint, he is bullhorning this out to the reader, saying, look how much has flipped. Egypt has moved from blesser Of the nations to oppressor of people with their forced labor and their class based slavery of the Israelites. Egypt at the close of Genesis was once the place where people flocked to be fed. Now, Egypt is the place where a people group is forced to feed. To feed Egypt and Pharaoh's goals, his ambitions, and their wants. Egypt, in the language of Scripture, is now the language of empire. It's anti-God, anti-shalom. Notice what's in verse 10. You need to hear this because this sets the stage. In verse 10, Pharaoh says, "At seeing this influx of outsiders, of people that are not Egyptian." He says, let us deal shrewdly. Now the word shrewdly doesn't come across in our English like it should, but it is a hyperlink. First used in Genesis 3. Dealing with the snake. In Genesis 3, when the tempter comes into the garden, the the text describes him It says, the snake was more shrewd, more crafty, more conniving, more sly more tricky. All meanings of that one word, true. So make no mistake, church family, this morning, at the outset of Exodus, it is telling us a story of empire, man's way, versus shalom, God's way. The first few lines of the Bible's second book, instead of getting a story of creation like Genesis opens with, you get a story of decreation. This is against the order of God's will. It is decreation of rule and oppression and subjugation and inequality. Mankind doing things mankind's way according to their wisdom. It's a showdown. It is a shrewd showdown between a snake and God's will. Now, spoiler alert. God's going to win. He's going to win every time. It should not surprise us. But what should always surprise us, or maybe a better word than that, is what should refresh us this morning is the way that He will win. God is going to bring forth salvation and redemption in a refreshing way. Who needs a little refreshment this morning? We're not serving BBS watered-down Kool-Aid and cookies this morning, but from Scripture, who needs some refreshment? I love refreshing things. I stumbled across this video this week about a little boy in kindergarten. This is a refreshing video. This little boy, Cason, walks into this room. What Kaysen, the situation in the context is Cason had to move away from his kindergarten class after attending it all year until February. And then his family had to move away. But he got to come back to kindergarten graduation and spend a little time with his friends from kindergarten. And the teacher allowed him to come in and be a surprise. And I want you to see when Casey comes in to the room. This is So good He's a little nervous. <laughs> Now, that's refreshing, isn't it? The beauty, the simplicity of that. That's what I want you to have in your heart this morning as we get into Exodus chapter 2. The refreshing way that God brings about salvation. I love that that little boy is nervous, but when he gets in and his classmates greet him, there's some tears. I love the little boy in the tiny little uh, bow tie. But I want to be refreshed by Scripture today like that. Because this morning what God is going to do is He's going to do one of His more enjoyable moves. In Exodus, God is going to show what He loves to do. God loves to accomplish big things via little actions. Like Babe Ruth... Calling a shot. God's going to call his shot. And he's going to fulfill it. But he's going to do it this morning in Exodus chapter 2. Through three wonder women. Wonder women who don't garner a lot of spotlight. As far as the whole of scripture is concerned. One of them is not even given a name. But these are not just women. They are wonder women. Because what they're going to do today. Is they're going to sow. Seeds that will save a nation. They're going to be the ones who allow themselves to be used by God and sow things into the life of Moses that will set up the story that becomes the Exodus. And for us, they're going to show us and display for us how we can go out and sow these seeds as well. Because God is still refreshing the God still desires to bring the world back to Him. And He's not just doing it in old stories. He's doing it continually in us. So let's pray about this this morning. I want to pray over this passage I the love what is revealed in Exodus 2. Let's pray about this first. Father, we love You. May bless us today at the hearing of Your Word. We pray for other Christians that are gathered this morning. Around us, we pray for your will to be done in their life. And I'm thinking specifically this morning of my friends at the Methodist Church here in town. your will be done in their life, God. And God, for us here, we pray that you will refresh us. And that we will see that this, in the story of these three women that we're about to read, God, that there's not just a message of what happened, but there's a message of what can happen and what does happen. We pray for that. Pray for the courage to be the people we're supposed to be and to live out the story we're supposed to live. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Let's open right up into Exodus chapter 2, 1 through 10. It says Genesis on the screen. I am very confused about where we're at in the story, but the passage is actually right. Exodus chapter 2, 1 through 10. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Our first wonder woman is Moses' mom. Moses' mom here plants a seed of redemption that will lead to salvation for multitudes, but the seed she plants first is the seed of sacrifice. Jochebed, Moses' mom, is just like any other mom, right? Moms will do whatever it takes for their child. But I want you to think about Jochebed for a moment. Put yourself in her shoes. Remember what is at stake. Pharaoh is fearful of the Israelites. He's worried about their numbers. So he does. Same story told a million times on earth and being told again now all over the world. He does what rulers always do. Rulers always have giant, frail egos. So he employs policies. He employs replacement theory. We're going to be replaced by the Israelites. We're scared. So he writes laws to keep them at bay. He performs genocide. And particularly what he does is he says all male babies must be thrown and drowned into the night. But in opposition to this edict is sacrifice by Moses' mother. Instead of saying, can't get around it, she takes her own life As a sacrifice, and says, I'm going to make sure this baby lives. She hides him for three months, and then when that becomes too difficult, she takes this sacrificial risk. And this is where it gets so good. She builds him a little basket, she places him in it, and then floats the basket down. Now, it helps to remember that the Egyptians in the world at the time, there wasn't a lot of world travel. The Nile was thought to be the mother of all things. It's where life came out of. It was a source. It wasn't like she was floating Moses down the Canadian stream out here. <laughs> this is a monster river, right? It's huge, it's wide, it's powerful. But she takes and she floats him down. Now we miss something here, not only like the word that we looked at for Pharaoh dealing with the Israelites truly we also miss another word. This word appears in the text for basket only twice in the Torah. And it's the word for ark. Moses' mom, just as Noah did in Genesis 6, builds an ark. Now Noah's was massive, And Jochebed's was teeny tiny. Right? But she builds an ark. She puts Moses in this little mini ark. Now what is an ark? This is where her sacrifice comes in. An ark is not a ship that can be directed by rudder and sails, by a captain or pilot. An ark is a vehicle of salvation. It is a vessel of surrender. It is directing yourself to let go so that God can take over. It's a vessel driven by God towards salvation. So Mo- Mo- Moses' mom takes this huge risk, major sacrifice, making an unfathomable, fathomable, difficult move. Surrendering her baby to a river, but really surrendering her baby to God's. But I want you to know this. This is a seed of salvation. It's a seed of the seed of sacrifice, is that Jacobed or any of us, when we sacrifice for others, what scripture is telling us is that sacrifices are never wasted. The seeds of sacrifice will bring a crop of salvation. Sacrifice is this, church family. When we sow a seed of sacrifice, we are sowing a willful decision. To no longer be the directors of our life. And when we sow those seeds. The fruit is salvation for others. Jacobed's hands off. Here's an ark. Not a ship. But something to be directed by God. When we willfully decide to surrender. To no longer be the directors of our life. We are sowing seeds. Now more on that in a little bit. Well let's get back to the task Here's what happens next. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. Now, Pharaoh's daughter's got got an entourage, right? She's got an entourage with her. It's a big deal for her to go down to the Nile to bathe. There's Israelites around. They're the enemy. Got to watch out. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it. And saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. Or she had compassion. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. This seed I love. Because an unnamed woman, Pharaoh's daughter, sows into this story the seed of courage. See, Pharaoh's daughter carries all the power. All the pomp and all the influence of her father's throne. She is a walking symbol of Egypt. I mean, Egypt's got some power, right? Go to Egypt today and the things that were built 3,500 years ago plus are still there. That is this empire. These are powerful, powerful people. And she carries all that, but here she doesn't use her power to build empire. She uses her power to subvert now, here's what your text says. It says that she sent a female slave. Again, English translation, not real good. What the translation actually is in Hebrew is it says she sent her arm. There's a funny um, kind of old Jewish story that's, that's not true, but it, it talks about Pharaoh's daughter's 30-foot arm. <laughs> but she's like Captain Stretch or something. Who's, I don't know. What, Captain Stretch, I don't know who that is. But uh, there's some, isn't there some superhero that can stretch his arm really? What's his name? Stretch Armstrong. Okay, Plastic Man. Okay, I was nowhere near either of those. Okay, that's who, like, that's what they think. But that's not the point here. Arm, as we read at the start of our worship service, is the idea of strength. The Psalms will say over and over that God displays his arm. It's his strength. And what Pharaoh's daughter does here is instead of using her arm to rule with empire, she uses her arm to save. Now I wanted to show you this picture because this is an etching on the wall in Egypt of a Pharaoh. And you can notice what Pharaoh's got there is he has a bundle of slaves. A bundle of people group. A bundle of people that Are not Egyptians. And he's got them by the hair. With his left hand. And he has his arm. Which is broken. But you can tell. Because you can still see the top. He's got his right arm raised. To destroy. To kill. And so the text here is telling us. That this unnamed woman. Is not using Power like her father, but she's using her arm not to strike, but to receive. That is courage. Have you ever wondered why the Bible lacks details about names? For seemingly important people, right? Pharaoh's just Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter's just an unnamed girl. Now, I think this this is why. Why the names aren't given is I don't think the Bible's being purposely vague because it lacks the knowledge of names. It's not naming because it's using symbols. Pharaoh is a title saying all the Pharaohs are the same just like they are today. They express power, authority, their way, their wisdom. And Pharaoh's daughter carries that same authority. That's why she's not given a name. She's just Pharaoh's daughter but yet she doesn't exert that power to destroy. She exerts that power to save. What is courage, church family? Courage is using pa- is not using power. Courage is relenting what power you have so that others may be blessed. That's courage. Courage is starting a communion talk saying, I feel like a hypocrite. I don't have it together. Courage is saying, I don't know how this is going to go, but I trust. Courage is not taking my power to gain more power. Courage is using whatever influence, leverage, and power I have to sow seeds into other people's lives. So whatever power, influence, and leverage you have, the question for us today, are you using it to sow seeds or seeds? To bless, to encourage, to lift another one up. New York Times writer David Brooks had a great article a couple of years ago and he said this, in it. he said there's only two sets of virtues in this life. Resume virtues and eulogy virtues. <laughs> resume virtues, of course, are those skills that you bring to your job, the things that you put out there. It's your value and your marketplace value. But eulogy vir- virtues are the things that will be talked about in your funeral. Were you kind? Were you forgiving? Were you generous? Were you loving? Were you courageous? Those are eulogy virtues. It takes courage to build eulogy virtues. And here's the crazy thing. If you're tracking with me this morning, we're still talking about favorite daughter's eulogy. Thirty five hundred years later. Because she had the desire to sow a seed of courage instead of a seed of power. Let's keep going, one more little text. Then a sister. So Moses' sister's been watching, right? You can kind of picture her looking through the reeds. Those aren't hot dogs, those aren't natural hot dogs, kids. Don't go eat reeds. Like, ooh, that looks like a hot dog. That's not what those are. But you can see her among the, among the reeds, the cattails.
1: And then she pops out, when
0: she sees that Pharaoh's daughter has lifted this ark out of the water. And she says, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, she answered. So you've got to love Pharaoh uh, Moses' sister. This is Miriam. She's so smart. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. <laughs> That's such a cool little deal in the text. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me. So, think about Jochebed. Here's, I'm floating my baby down the water. I don't know if I'll ever see him again. And then all of a sudden he returns. What a turn in scripture. Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. Not only is she getting to get her baby back, she's getting paid for it. (laughs) Pretty cool deal. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Our third seed this morning is sown by Moses' older sister, and it is the seed of rebellion. Now the reason this is called the seed of rebellion is that Moses' sister is Miriam. And her name in Hebrew, while it's a little bit hard to translate, most scholars land on it means rebellion. She is the lady, the young girl of seven years old, who, watching from a distance, comes out of hiding and brings this story into this great fulfillment. She's nobody, she's a little girl. Seven, seven years old, first or second grader, and she comes out not listening to her place, but speaking truth to power. She rebels. Little servant girls aren't supposed to speak to the queen or future queen of Egypt. But she rebels. She rebels against a world that told her she was but a slave, against a class system that said, you have no voice. She rebels against a world that told her, you're but a girl. She rebels. Now don't misunderstand what I'm advocating for. When I speak of sowing seeds of rebellion, I'm not talking about sinful rebellion. I'm not talking about going against Christ's likeness. But in a world that continually squashes Miriam's, I say rebel. When you're told you're too young, rebel. When you're told you're too old, the church has done a terrible job of putting older people out to pasture. Oh, you've served here long enough, let's let our young people do that. Rebel. No, God still has something for me, through me, and with me. When you're told to be quiet because we don't speak up about Christianity in this world we live in. Rebel. When you're told teenagers that you're too young and you gotta wait to be part of a church. For the love of God, rebel. Rebel. Tell us to take a seat. Rebel against them. The opportunity to be a Wonder Woman, and Wonder Men. And so the seeds of salvation has not passed. Sacrifice, courage, and rebellion are in desperate need today. It's a desperate need of the world and of the church. And we need it. And these women, these wonder women show us how. So this morning we're going to pause for just a second. You'll notice around our baptistry we've taken down a lot of the cards that have been up there. And it's been two years since we've done this. But in your seats today, there is one of these and I want you to pick it up. And if you need a few extras, there's some extras around or grab one off a row behind you or near you. These cards aren't special in any way. All they really are for us is a reminder that we want to sow seeds of salvation. We want to be a church that is continually encouraging, praying, and blessing. We want to be a church that is continually living our lives in a way that is displaying the love of God so that others can come to know God. We want to be a church that sows seeds of sacrifice, courage, and yes, rebellion. It says we're not going to do worldly things and worldly ways. We're going to do Christ-like things. Christ-free. Christ was a rebel. Got him killed. You may not be ready for that, but you're supposed to be. So this morning, I want you to just take a moment and think about who do I need to sow into? You just write your name on the front. This is me. Right? I write Jake on the front. I don't have a pen up here. I'll fill mine out after service. And then on the back, you write in, together with my church family, I'm following Jesus for the sake of somebody else. Somebody you want to see come to know Jesus. Somebody you're praying for, a family member, a friend, somebody a coworker, somebody that you see, some neighbor that's down the street from you, or across the street right next door. You want to see God move. See, what's so crazy is these ladies were living for Jesus, living for God in the moment. They didn't know they were living for Jesus, but they were. They were living for God in the moment, and their sowing of their seeds doesn't just save Moses, it saves millions. 15 chapters later. Isn't that incredible? And this morning, you might write down a name, or you might even be thinking this morning, I don't know who to write down. I don't even know what to do. Think about it for a second. The person you began to pray for might be the next great evangelist in America. Somebody prayed for Billy Graham, guys. Somebody prayed for Saul, who became Paul. Somebody sowed seeds for Moses. So this morning we want you to fill those out. I'm going to give you just a second and i want to pray over it. But who do you need to sacrifice to pray for, to bless, to encourage? And what we do is we take these cards up here and we put them up here this way and then when that person makes a life changer decision to know Jesus, we switch it up here. All those red cards are right up there as the people that we've been praying for that have come to know Jesus over the last two years. All those people in the back and all the people that have come to Christ in the last five years and been baptized in this building. I love those pictures back there. I've only got one problem with them. There's not enough. It ought to be everywhere. It ought to be all around. We ought to be going, man, it's hurting my eyes there's so many baptism pictures up there I can't even keep up with this. Right? That's what it ought to be. Right, church? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Alright, I won't say anything. Alright, that's what it was. But it's not by our might, it's not by our power that that happens. It's by the Lord. Let me pray for those cards. And at the end of services, if you want to bring them up here and just lay them down, our elders are going to commit to be praying over them. If you want a list of those names so that you can join other people in praying over those names, we're going to put together a little Excel file or, or something like that, and you can get that. We want to be lifted up as a church. We're starting the Kingdom Come Prayer Nights this month in, in a week and a day or two days, and that's what we're going to be praying for. We're going to be praying rebellious prayers that people come to know Jesus. Let's pray over these. Lord, we love you. Man, we're living in a world where, we're, God, it's it's hard to escape the way that the world puts chains on our souls. And we, we come and we and we confess, Lord, we come in here and we play church. Like We're little kids playing house. We go through the motions and we we forget that, that God, you're with us. You're here in this moment. And being with us, you want to send us out. And God, I just want to lift up the names of everybody that everybody's thinking about. Um, People that don't know you yet. People that maybe used to know you and walked away people that are struggling, people that are wrestling, people that know the truth but yet haven't jumped into it, whatever it is, Lord, if we lay them before you, we surrender that, and we pray for the strength to be people who sow seeds of sacrifice, mm-hmm. and courage, and to rebel against our own desires that say you don't speak up or you're not supposed to say that or you're not supposed to, I, I, I can't do that. Sometimes we even need to rebel against ourselves those little things that we've told ourselves, the lies that we've told ourselves about who we are. I pray for for us to be people that sow seeds of salvation. And God, I pray for your mercy to let us see some of that fruit. And if we don't, Father, help us just to remain faithful because that's what you really want. Because we trust, God, that that whatever we do in your name uh, is not wasted. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray. I want to close with this. A little bit more of Miriam's story. Because by Exodus 15, Miriam shows up again. This little girl. She's now an adult. 47, 50 years old. Somewhere in there. She's still Moses' older sister. She's got to watch her brothers rise up against Pharaoh. She's got to see these ten plagues come through. And then she gets to see Passover night. A night when you were supposed to be ready to go, right? Passover wasn't just about all the religious ceremony. It was about salvation, but it was about salvation and let's go. And so at the end of Exodus 15, salvation has been achieved. The people of Israel have crossed the Red Sea. Egypt is behind them. The power and empire has been defeated and promised land is in front of them. They were told that night not to pack much. In fact, don't even put yeast in your bread because it's going to be quick. Take that cloak and tuck it into your belt because you're going to run as you get out of there. But here's what I love. It's in Exodus 15:20 where Miriam shows back up and I want you to see what she's packed. Exodus 15, 20, and 21. Scripture says, Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine, a timbrel, in her hand. And all the women followed with her with timbrels and tambourines, that's what that word means, and dancing. And Miriam sang to them and said, Sing to the Lord, for He is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He is hurled into the sea. She sings an add-on to the song of the sea that's in Exodus 15. But here's what I love about her. Because Miriam knew to go quickly. Miriam knew to hustle. But yet, as she packed her bags to head out that day and get on the road, she still had the sense to pack something she probably didn't get to play. She packed her tambourine. Now think about that. Tambourines aren't easily made, and tambourines aren't used unless it's a time of praise and joy. She had this with her. And I like to imagine that she never got to play it. Because you're in slavery. But yet, she trusted. And she comes out, not by the Nile this time, but by the Red Sea. And she's packed her tambourine. Something that she didn't make in the moment, something she didn't just pick off the ground and go, oh, there's a tambourine, right? Okay? She brought it. Because she was expecting salvation. She was expecting grace, And that's what it means to sow seeds of salvation. Miriam starts her story by water, where she helps lead her brother to salvation. Then she gets to praise God by water because the salvation has been delivered. So pack your tambourine, church. Be ready to praise God in the morning. And we invite you to that kind of salvation. You ever notice in Scripture, as we close, what Moses' name meant there in verse 10, chapter 2? It means drawn from the water. The same guy that was drawn from water would be used by God to draw millions through water to be saved by the same God who, in Genesis 1, if you've been reading along in the story, drew the land first out of water. He draws things out of water. You may say, well, why do you guys talk about baptism so much? Because God loves to draw people through water for salvation. He loves to give us a symbol, something we can see to say, that is when I turned my life 180 degrees away from the world and took on the name of Jesus. He draws us through water. And so we invite you to that today. If it's time to say, I want to join into this, I've had seeds sown into my life in the story of Jesus, but I haven't ever really made that choice, do it today. Talk to somebody about it today. If you're ready to just have your life renewed in Christ, remember those seeds. Or if you want to say, "I want to be praying specifically for somebody," and I want my church family to be praying, bring that card up here this morning and let's offer it. Now, as we stand and sing, I want us to stand and sing. If you want this to be something that our elders are praying about, and you filled out this morning, bring it down or pass it down the road too, and we're going to lift those up together. Let's stand up and let's sing. I keep now under...